This morning, as Chad mentioned, we are in the last of our relationship series. Relationships are the things that we are, well, created to be a part of. If you think about it, God created each of us to relate to the nouns, people, places, and things. This morning, it's kind of a combination of all of those. Work. We spend most of our lives working. Uh, Before I read the text, I want to define what I mean by work. Work are all of those things we do to carry out our responsibilities wherever they may be. We're trained to think work equals job. Work is that which I do to earn a paycheck, provide for family, take nice vacations. That's one aspect of work. Work is anything that we do in life to take care of our responsibilities and usually as part of something bigger, a bigger goal. So if you're a student, you work. If you are retired, you work. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're single, widowed, it doesn't matter whether you're at a job, whether you're at home, whether you're involved in school, whether you're doing service, to your church or community, whether you're a participant in recreational activities like ballet or baseball or you're a coach, all of those things, that's what I mean by work. Well, let's see how the Lord addresses this issue. And we're going to choose to read out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is essentially the book in the Bible that says Sunday is about Monday. Whatever you hear, whatever you think about on Sunday in your worship, it's actually meant for when you go to work the next day. That's what the book of Proverbs is. It hits on everything. God is meant to infect and overrule and enjoy every part of our lives, no matter what it is. And work is a phenomenally large part of the book of Proverbs, the tasks we do. So let's read it. Let's see what God's Word says. There's so much. Uh, And so little time, as they say. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The grass withers, flowers fade. God's Word stands forever. Let's pray and thank Him for it and ask that He help us understand. Lord, now we pause to hear from You. And Lord, the instrument You've chosen to stand behind this sacred desk is unworthy and ill-equipped to communicate the depths of the glory of Your truth. But You've promised that Your Spirit will do that. And so, Lord, we pray that You would do such. Teach our hearts. Comfort us where, Lord, we need comfort. And challenge us where we need challenge. And we pray all this kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. you got to love the Bible. It says we're going to talk about work. And it uses the imagery of a sluggard a slug, and an ant. The beauty of 
God's wondrous Word is that He is instructing the glory of His creation, men and women and children, the apex of all that is good and right in the world, that if you really want to learn about life, go sit down and watch slugs and ants. The sluggard, it's almost interesting, it's addressed to him, but it uses the example of an ant. It's teaching them about, well, work as God understands it. Work in the beautiful sense. Work as it's really meant to be. And so the address is, of course, to the sluggard. Verse 6, that's what it says. Go to the ant, sluggard, like those educational films you watched in junior high. Beep. See what life is about by stopping and looking at the ant. Well, what does it say about the sluggard? How does it describe the sluggard? Verse 9, it tells us something about his habits and activities and weaknesses and what he invests himself in. Verse 9, he says, How long will you lie there, sluggard? He's instructing him. Uh, when will you arise from your sleep? He's pleading. And then he offers this little proverb. Hey, here's the reality. A little sleep and a little slumber turn into something of slavery. The things that seem so minor, the shirking of duties, the, the casting off of responsibilities, the thing that seems so unimportant, uh, so obnoxious in the habits and rep repetitive nature of each day, if you don't pay attention, you'll slip away. That's what those words mean. Work in the sluggard's mind is a curse. It's something to be avoided at all costs, perhaps. To, to ignore, to lie in bed, no matter what's going on, it's just simply to withdraw and drift away, to delay what needs to be done, to dismiss its importance. All of those seem to be there and ultimately drifts into this, what he calls poverty. Come back to this, but poverty is more than just what's in your bank account or lack thereof. What about the ant? Compare the ant to that description of the sluggard. Right? Verse 7, it says this, Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread. I find it interesting that the writer considers the ant to be a she. <laughs> Another day, perhaps. Verse 7 tells us that the ant, rather than lying around, takes initiative. It doesn't need someone threatening it to do its responsibility. Oh my goodness, I just described me. How many of our activities, whether it's school, home, chores, whatever the case may be, how many of those would we not do if there weren't some kind of threat associated with them? Like, I'm not going to pay you. You're going to be fired. You're going to be grounded. We almost always require some version of a consequence to do our responsibility. And so that's what he's saying about the ant. The ant gets up. It does what it's supposed to do without someone threatening it. Verse 8, it says that the, the ant, the, the good worker as it's proposed here, prepares her bread in summer. Uh, she prepares. She plans. She thinks ahead as to what is coming. Uh, like a farmer sowing seed and watering and hoping and praying that it grows, it sets out an agenda and says, that's where I'm going. It gathers, she says. So it actually does the work. 
It treats labor as good, and indeed, ultimately it is. And after the work, seeing that life is a series of seasons, accepting that there's the planting and the harvest, there's rest. That's the way God has fixed the human to live in a cycle of repetitive rhythms. That is, I work six days, I stop. I work, I stop. We work, and then work, and then work, and then work, and then stop. But God's fixed it as this repetitive cycle. The reason rest is that this ant has a trust in whoever it is that grows that crop. Ultimately, that's what we do in rest is we trust God. So there's the sluggard, and there's the ant. Well, I want to give you a couple of illustrations that we might relate to. And the first one may surprise you. When I think of sluggard, I'm thinking, you know, there's the guy laying on his couch with potatoes chips crumbled on his stomach of a shirt that half fits. Some of you fit this description. I see you laughing. Uh, and the, the, the course of the day is spent really in video games and uh, Minecraft and so forth. And then you get up and eat, go to sleep, do it again. That's the sluggard, right? Broke, poor, has to rely on mom and dad to come bail him out. I want to suggest, though, that that's not going to be our issue with work our issue with work comes from another angle. So I'm going to define the sluggard's problem, what's deep down in there. And here's, it, here, here's what I think it is. The sluggard misunderstands the very purpose of work. And when you misunderstand what work is for, you misapply that work. It becomes something else. So here's my illustration of who a sluggard is. Tom Brady, or as we say in Brookhaven, Tom Brady. That's an inside joke. Tom Brady, the most celebrated NFL player ever. I don't like him, but I have to admit that with a cringe. His, his hands have run out of fingers for rings. You know the guy. It was in an interview a few years ago with 60 Minutes as they talked to him about his success and all that he had accomplished. And Brady had talked about the wonder of, as a kid, he dreamed about what life was about. And he had achieved it all. I've succeeded beyond anyone in my field. I'm the most celebrated person in my chosen field. I have won victories more than I have suffered defeats. I work hard. I'm fit physically. I'm wealthy beyond comprehension. I can buy islands. I can buy yachts. I can buy people if I chose. He didn't say that. I'm inserting that. He said, I've got the girl. I've got it all. And then he added, in spite of all that, I got nothing. I still feel a sense of emptiness. I've achieved all of my goals. And I, when the day is over and lay my head on the pillow, ask, what was it for? There's got to be more. The reporter, I think it was Mike Wallace, so it's been a few years, asked, hey, what do you think that missing thing is? And his answer was, I wish I knew. 
That is an expression of someone that misunderstands the purpose of work and so there misapplies it. You see, the sluggard, of course, can be that person who gives up. That's what's described here. I'm not going anywhere. But the sluggard can also be the person that counts work to not just be important, but all important. Almost to the level of, well, we might say a god. Work worshipped to provide something that fills the soul. That's a misunderstanding and a misapplication. Why the sluggard? Why the sluggard that either gives up, resigns to the couch, does nothing, or why the sluggard that attempts to do everything? I think a good way to come at that is, well, to to teach you about a song that was sung in the 1990s, a very obscure group called the Godfathers. And they had a song, I just remember it from MTV, I didn't listen to them, but it was memorable because it only had four words. Uh, the, the verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 said the same thing, birth, school, work, death. And then it gets to the chorus, birth, school, work, death. And then the bridge where the key changed, birth, school, work, death, over and over and over. They're, they're teaching us something. The most prevalent worldview in our society for sure, but I would, I would suspect in most of the world today, is that that's it. That's life. It's the grim view that all we have are these four segments in our life, and each one of them is a misery. And if you're in one, you're trying to get to the next, and if you're in the next, you wish you were in the one before. Birth, school, work, death, that's all there is. And ultimately, if we conclude that that is the sum total of life, you're born and raised, you go to school for some reason, then you get to that reason, which is work and making money, and you realize nothing, death. All for naught. And the response to that worldview is, well, one of two things. It's a version of despair that absolutely surrenders to the darkness that there is no meaning to life. That's the slugger described here. I quit. As Jim Gaffigan says, <laughs> the great theologian Jim Gaffigan, you know, a nap is a great way of just saying, I quit. I mean, I could go on, but why bother? That's the sluggard who gives up. He underworks. Work is of no importance, but then there's the other side. If indeed life is just birth, school, work, death, then I'm going to kill myself to get it all in. To go for the gusto. To buy everything and sell everything and earn everything and be uh, celebrated for all of those things. Uh, Whereas the sluggard might think too lowly of work, the workaholic thinks too highly. Of work. And the danger, of course, of the workaholic in our society is it's respectable and celebrated. We have taken what's called the Protestant work ethic and turned it into, well, the greed ethic where we kill ourselves. Work says it has no purpose for the sluggard and for the workaholic. It says it has all purpose. Now let me quickly insert and remind you, we're not just talking about jobs that earn money. It's anything we do that requires us to be responsible. We can invest our whole souls into it. 
That's the danger of the slug life. Work has to save me. Without work, without accomplishment, without celebration, without money, without fame, without power, without the ability to buy, travel, do everything that is necessary for a full life, then I'm what you would call poor. There's another example, though, of a counter, and that's the ant. Um, Not the despairing, ever-searching, ever-ceaseless sluggard that says, if I don't do and if I'm not at work, this won't happen. There's another example, and that's of the ant. The ant with his simple trust and the simple tasks of a simple day and a simple rhythm of life. And my favorite illustration of this one is on the opposite end of the spectrum, not the famous, but the less than famous. Osceola McCarty. You remember that name? If you're a Southern Miss fan or alumni, you know that name quite well. Osceola McCarty was this, I don't know what the word is, I don't want to be offensive, laundress. She did people's laundry. She washed their clothes, she ironed them, she folded them, she put them in bags and took it to them. When she was six years old, she learned that trade working with her mother and her aunt. And every little dollar she got, she would put into her doll's little uh, buggy, toy buggy. And in sixth grade, she was forced to quit her education because her aunt had grown sick and she had to take care of sixth grade. (laughs) And so for the remainder of her life, she served in that one job. She washed people's clothes. She ironed them. She folded them. She took it back to them. Seventy-five years later, her banker calls her and says, Miss Osceola, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but you are absolutely loaded. In her account were hundreds of thousands of dollars. And her banker and her attorney said, we got to do something with this. The chunk of that chain, she said, I want you to give to USM for scholarships so that someone else might have the opportunity to get an education. She's the only guest of the snarky, uh, kind of uh, smart-alecky talk show host David Letterman. She's the only guest that humbled him. He didn't have anything smart to say to her. It was more like bowing. This poor black woman uneducated, from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Compare her. Compare Brady. Which one is rich? Which one is poor? The answer should be obvious. The ant sees itself. It's such a beautiful illustration because it takes the most common task, the single task, the overlooked task, But it sees that task as part of something bigger, like the colony. To build and grow this colony for the celebration of their queen, for her better. The ant sees itself as part of something huge. Its task, therefore, is not unimportant how we tell ourselves that. We think to ourselves that our job has little worth, little contribution, I'm fill in the blank. I'm just a blank. 
And there you have a betrayal of how we think. But what the ant tells us is that there's no task, whether you are at the economic you know, altitude or you are in the bottoms, your task is not defined by that. And its contribution and importance are so much bigger. So, there's infinite worth attached to taking out the garbage. There's infinite worth in changing a diaper. There's infinite worth in picking up kids from school and taking them to soccer practice. There's infinite work in nailing the case, closing the deal. There's infinite worth in all of those. There's sacred work being involved there. There, There's something we've done. It's a hangover from the Middle Ages, but it's the belief that people who do spiritual work like preachers or missionaries have some sort of cut above with God than others. I'm just a blank. I remember once in our tours as missionaries saying, the mission field needs lawyers. And the lawyer came up after it and said, I've never heard that one. (laughs) We're the ones who were the butt of the jokes. But that's it. God uses all tasks, whether it's your, listen to this, this is going to be controversial. I'm going to get snarks and emails about this one. Homework assigned by your teacher has infinite value. It is not the end of the story, so you don't despair and say it's of no use. It's a piece of what an ant does to carry out some huge and grand and beautiful purpose. It is valuable. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae said this, whatever you do, whatever, underline, whatever you do, whether you're in art, whether you're in business, whether you sling hash at the Waffle House, whether you are one who digs ditches or hangs up wires and poles, whether you're the one who has to fix food to feed your family, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, knowing that you will receive His inheritance. A much bigger payoff. And then he adds this little line to it. You are serving the Lord Christ. I think Osceola McCarty had that view. And so a laundress putting aside money for the benefit of others ultimately was the most glorious job a person could ever conduct and have. Where does that leave us? I've got the ant, I've got the sluggard. Well, recognize your sluggardliness. We all have that. A sluggard is nothing more than a person that views work as purely self-centered. It's purely about self. That's the sluggard life. Then there's the other life, the God-centered life, that says work is yes for me and for God's glory and for the good and benefit of others. And it doesn't matter what I do, I can find that ultimate aim and purpose in that. So here's how I'll conclude with a question. What do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) You've been asked that a bunch of times. And of course, as kids, we all say uh, something like, I want to be a cowboy. 
Or I want to be a ballerina and then you really, you know, get real with life. Well, I got to do something real, right? So we get real. But the question which we're trained to answer, we assume says, what do you want to do for a living when you grow up? That wasn't the question. The question has to do with who we are, not what we do. What do you want to be when you grow up? How would you answer the Lord Jesus? I want to be of use to you. I want to be helpful to your kingdom that you've called me to be a part of. I want to be generous. I want to be loving. I want to be worshipful. That's what you be. What you do flows out of that. It's a reflection. Somewhere this past year, Tim, Chad, myself, our session, our deacons, our women of faith, we all kind of work through figuring out Like, what do we want to communicate to our people about who we are? This is what we came up with. We exist for the to glorify God for the good of Brookhaven. And the reason we chose that is because it's the good of Brookhaven we often miss. We think that the great mission of Jesus through us to the city is going to find its greatest expression in a project or an event, or some kind of sacrificial moment in time where we reach out to people who we don't normally do that. But here, and understand what this is communicating, when you go to work tomorrow, you are doing precisely what God has called you to do when you're at school, when you're raising kids, when you're playing baseball or ballet. There you go. Martin Luther, the great theologian and often kind of comical barb, said this, Look, the goal of the Christian shoemaker is not to make shoes that have little crosses on them. That doesn't make it Christian. The goal of the Christian shoemaker is to make good shoes with excellence that bring honor to God and the benefit of others. Jesus, Jesus was able to take on Himself the work we're all trying to achieve, the one that fills our hearts, the one that will make us part of something huge, the one that we look to our jobs or family or tasks and say, fill me up, love me, make me somebody. Jesus says, I've come and I've achieved what you can't. And what He offers in return for that is if you come to Me, I will give you rest. Isn't that interesting? I'll do all the work to provide rest. And now that you know your true rest, work. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for the moment to share in Your Word. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to see that You have called us to an amazing thing. And because of the Lord Jesus, Lord, uh, we have the courage and the encouragement to Uh, carry our responsibilities out with joy. Uh, Lord, not killing ourselves to think we have to do everything, but satisfied, Lord, that the way You've gifted us, the place You've put us, is our perfect task to bring You honor and to benefit those around us. And ultimately, Lord, to taste that true rest. And we pray that kindness that You impress it upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.